0: This week on the nonprofit news feed, we have well nonprofit news because that's what the feed is full of. Uh, anyway, eh? as for the week of October eighteenth, we're deep into fall. How's it going, Nick?
1: It's going good. How are you, George?
0: I'm doing all right. Excited to see what we have, uh, what we've collected here in, uh, in the weekly uh, weekly summary. What do we have?
1: Sure, we have two fairly hard hitting stories to start us off. But the first story at our At A Glance is that a nonprofit fundraising off of breast cancer has deep ties to scam PAC or political action groups. This is based on an investigative report done by organization Open Secrets in conjunction with the Daily Beast, which found that the nonprofit, the American Breast Cancer Coalition, appears to be Nothing more than a scheme to extract millions of dollars in donations, uh, it seems, largely from small donors. So this organization was launched two years ago, and it brought in about $3.5 million in small donor money. Um, But it seems that the money was basically just part of some giant quasi-fraudulent scheme. A lot of this money got kicked back to the telemarketing company. Um, That same company was fined last year for $56 million. Um, And the caveat here is that this group is not actually a 501c3. It's a special type of PAC or political action group, which means that um, the financial transparency requirements associated with most nonprofits, it doesn't actually apply here. So this is just one case of many of groups that kind of masquerade as nonprofits, but are really nothing more than just money-making schemes, um, sadly. And yeah, just wanted to kind of call out this particularly egregious example, but again, um, for our audience, um, both nonprofit professional and otherwise, just to be careful about scams, especially going into the holiday season in which we see an uptick of uh, fraudulent fundraising schemes like this one. Um, in our newsletter, we also have a link to a resource from the FBI, which has a handy list of tips for avoiding uh, scams during giving season. But man, George, I-, I can't think of a more more grotesque way to you know steal money from people not it's not
0: good and then unfortunately it has the sort of uh ring of truth right the reason they chose that name and this is tough i feel for organizations that have got general names obviously you can trademark some but if it's a you know broad enough american breast cancer coalition like american uh, american breast cancer cause like american like you can actually sort of have this veil of authenticity applied pretty quickly when you uh, put you know America major ca- insert major cause here and then apply marketing dollars. This is like a weird, a weird nuance in here. As I was shocked at how effective uh, telemarketing was to raise money. And I'll, I'll be honest, it's not something I recommend. It's not something I think we should do. It's also not something I think will stand the test of time as caller IDs and blocking and spam protections get uh, stronger. But certainly, that's um, you know, I'm very impressed with their ability to raise money off of a fake charity because no one was doing any manner of research on it clearly. It was just a hey, the American breast cancer, not American breast cancer society, not, you know, like and uh it, it speaks unfortunately to both the, the power of general branding um but also the the need also probably to step up your legal defenses and ability to surveil the market. And anybody's certainly trying to create a, a name that is close, adjacent, or certainly infringing on, uh, on your organization. And it's like, oh, how bad is it? People can tell the difference. Some can, but others, others can't. And unfortunately, when you have a bad actor, um, it can bring down the bunch, um, in terms of a, uh, a pocket of, uh, a pocket of a cause and a, and a type of name, actually from a branding perspective.
1: Absolutely. And another piece, another recommendation might be this is why for savvy donors, they're going to research your organization before donating. It's really important to make sure that on your website you have things, um, you know, resources about financial transparency, whether it's impact reports, annual reports, um, kind of all those different indicators that add to your authenticity. Uh, you should have them on your site, one, because it's best practice, but two, you want to be able to show to those savvy potential donors that you are legitimate.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, a good reminder to go through your uh, your guide stars, charity navigators, uh, BBBs, like clearly an organization doing no manner of good and probably not <laughs> dealing honestly is is not Able to achieve that type of accreditation, so it's a good note. Do your best best to defend, though. This week's sponsor, none other than Whole Whale, a digital agency helping social impact organizations build traffic and measure impact. However, they also have an amazing new tool, the Inclusivity Crawler, the inclusivity tool that helps you find language that may be offensive to some of your stakeholders and shareholders. It looks through issues of ethnicity, race, gender, health, wealth, religion, and a number of other isms, frankly, that maybe you didn't have in mind when you wrote that content last year, last two years, a decade ago, the Inclusivity Tool will go through a page or even your entire website if you need it and help you find language and replace that language with the kinds of words that will be welcoming. InclusivityTool.com. Again, that's tool. Com.
1: And now back to our show. For sure. Our next story, sadly, doesn't get any more cheerful. We have to talk about the US missionaries and aid workers who were kidnapped in Haiti over the weekend. So this has led to international headlines. But this past weekend, 16 American missionaries and one Canadian were kidnapped by a group of gangs in Haiti, according to reports. Um, Among those kidnapped included five American children. Now, the missionaries are associated with a group called Christian Aid Ministries, and they were working in their capacity as aid workers in the region when they were kidnapped by a large, heavily, heavily armed gang, apparently. Um, And just before we signed on to recording, um, the most recent reports say that the FBI has teams on the ground, uh, apparently attempting to resolve the situation. The gang is now asking for millions of dollars in ransom money. This is a, a devolving situation. But the narrative here is that the threat of violence um, to foreign aid workers, uh, in addition to, to Haitians, just kind of embodies um the, the challenges the complexity of challenges faced by international aid groups humanitarian organizations disaster relief organizations operating in these these crazy dangerous environments um so yeah i i don't know what what more to say about this other than we wish all those people a, a safe return um but man this is this is crazy
0: you know you look at this and you realize the the downside of, of paying a ransom as it just essentially puts a price tag a sort of little money money sack over every single uh, american volunteer at least just looking at the the lens here so it's re- it's truly a lose lose and i think in the broader uh, broader context of this you know you you will you will hopefully have a a much more honest dialogue with what international aid looks like and whether or not we need to be sending American children into, uh, frankly, incredibly unsafe conditions, uh, regardless if God is watching or not, not to get like too intense here. But this frustrates me as a parent. This frustrates me as as someone who believes in uh, a certain type of international support and putting um, putting Americans at risk, potentially unnecessarily, will hopefully bring about a greater level of planning, of scrutiny, and of how American aid actually gets uh, deployed, implemented, or potentially uh, redirected. Uh, And I'm just praying for those folks. I truly truly hope that they are uh, brought back and and the people responsible, uh, frankly, uh,
1: are found. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. All right. We can move along to our next story from our summary. And this is a quick one for an organization in Pittsburgh um, called Hello Neighbor, which has been given federal authority to... Uh, resettle more than 250 Afghan immigrants. So again, just continuing that narrative thread of what we've been talking out, about on this podcast of the small, local, community-based organizations that are going to be doing the brunt of the resettlement work when it comes to helping all these Afghans. Um yeah, so just shout out to Hello Neighbor. Um, I'm sure they could use help if you're interested in helping them. Um, they're based in Allegheny County, which is out near Pittsburgh in PA. But uh, yeah, just uh, kind of exemplifies the need and the the urgency of uh, addressing these uh, and you know helping these people get back on their feet.
0: Yeah, I really uh, like looking at this story and looking at it as a microcosm of how there are groups like this working all over our country and frankly the world right now to uh, re- resettle Afghans uh, fleeing their country um, that had to happen overnight.
1: Absolutely. Moving along to our next story. This one comes from nonprofitpro.com. And this is something I'd never really thought about. But um, (laughs) this is an article uh, related to sustaining giving that says that the best nonprofits at sustainer giving is. Think about it. Suspense. Think about it. It's the suspense. I'm building the suspense. It's public broadcasting stations, your local radio and TV stations. And when you think about it a little more, it kind of makes sense. Um, But this study from BlackBad Luminate, from their benchmarks, which we'll talk about more in this podcast, um, says that public broadcasting stations receive 52.6% of their online revenue from sustainer gifts, um, which in this case... uh, Translates in some respects to monthly gifts. Um, that's a huge percentage. That's the the dream for every organization. But I guess in this case, it's their lifeline.
0: Yeah. Uh, also, this sort of dovetails the Blackbot Luminate uh, online benchmarks twenty twenty. You know, sometimes you know benchmarks are you know, always question about sample size, but BlackBot is pretty sizable an organization for fundraising. So it's sort of rich with information, I'd say. And I, I don't know if I'm that surprised. Like, I obviously, after the fact, yeah, I'm less surprised. I think that journalism in general and that market is being, you know, moved to the subscription model. And, and what is a sustainer gift, if not a subscription model access for it? Um, it's either that or the tote bags, right? It's all about the totes. However, the unique thing about the public broadcasting relationship to donors is the, the frequency with which their donor base hears from them, as opposed to an animal rights organization who you know, is not like in their ear, what, every week, every month, like you're, you're sort of held back by that. So they, uh, they kind of have an unfair advantage out there in, in that respect, at least.
1: I agree. George, do you think this is this, this makes the p- case for podcasts?
0: I think everything makes the case <laughs> for podcasts. I think it makes the case for continued connection to your donors, via audio, written email, text message, uh, social. It just makes the case there, but also in uh, another way of delivering value. And it's clear that like the donors there are receiving a, a service. It is the synthesis and summary of information about a topic or it's entertainment, um, depending on the the nature of the, the public broadcasting. And so to, to think about that differently, and, you know, it can be daunting to say, well, wait a minute, our stakeholders are already the folks that we're serving on the ground or, uh, the animals in these areas, you know, how can we also be expected to become a a broadcasting agency? Uh, I think there's ways, uh, to, to channel energy, to, to do similar efforts to maintain contact, deliver value, inform, synthesize, summarize uh, information for your, for your potential donor audience there.
1: I think that's a great summary and maybe we can now move into, um, just a couple other interesting highlights from this um, Black Bad study. And one thing that I found particularly interesting from this study was um, a 453% increase in one time gift revenue for food banks. Um, this, of course, coming uh, during the pandemic when food banks were, you know, the food shortage crisis in America was very visual, very visceral, um, very obvious, but 453% in one-time gift revenue. That's, that's quite something. Um, George, how do you turn incredible one-time donation revenue into sustained revenue? Is this something, is this, is this a trend? Is this a one-off? What can organizations that suddenly find themselves, um, at the forefront of some social issue? What can they do to sustain that momentum, knowing they're never going to get to that peak again, but how, how do they make the most of those moments?
0: I mean, this is the plight of disaster-based funding, where you get a huge influx of money as a result of aggregated compassion from an audience and then the danger is that you assume that it is going to continue at that level, that it's, as you just used the word, it's a trend of giving. I think for food banks, I think food banks are, in my experience, are incredibly practical about what what is and isn't. Either you have enough food to feed the 50 people that are going to show up on Sunday or you don't. There's no sort of wishful thinking so to that end when you have an asset and a one-time surplus I think it's important not to use it to engage in activities that are going to increase ongoing overhead but rather make investments in assets that maybe are one-time and ideally one-time revenue generating forward looking and saying okay you know is there a machine an asset that could make us faster or make us money uh, or an opportunity maybe to uh, to grow our donor base in this moment by making us an investment in the, the staff or capacity necessary to do that, to add something that's going to bring in future revenue. Again, the report also points that um, online donors and reoccurring monthly donors actually increased um, year over year, and it's becoming more common to the tune of 1 in 40 donors in their system. 1 in 40 is if you were to ask me, I was like, you know, it's a starting point. I would have, uh, I would have said maybe like, oh, less than that. But, you know, one of the things you can do is sort of look at your own data and be like, am I over under this, like, you know, 3% level or not for reoccurring? And if I'm well under it, it might be an opportunity to say like, Hey, there might be, if asked people willing to to donate. And if you're over it, good. You know, you may have. Uh, a a stronger uh, pull. Like we just mentioned, you know, take uh, aggregated benchmarks with a grain of salt, because if you're in public broadcasting, that number is higher. For food banks, I I would say that there's very clear need for and potential for messaging for that type of ongoing support or nature, because guess what? Uh, People will still be hungry in a month, despite the services and whatnot, in two months. Um, but they're coming into a, a very, very popular time for food banks. And I would say integrating the reoccurring giving at the point of ask. So foregoing that, hey, give $100 now versus $10 a month. You take the $10 a month every time. How do you structure that into your uh, you know, volunteering, asks, appeals, campaigns, messaging, uh, and, and go for the reoccurring shift?
1: Absolutely. I agree with all of that. We can switch gears a little bit away from um, some of these stats and move into another kind of news story, investigative journalism story. And this one um, is based on a report that says that the American Conservative Union, um, which bills itself as the nation's original conservative organization... Um, also known as the organization that puts on CPAC, um, has enriched companies belonging to two of its directors to the tune of $4 million in the past five years, um, according to a review by the Daily Beast and a couple of other investigative organizations. Um, we don't have a, a political agenda on this show. This cuts both ways, left and right. But this is another example of an organization that is registered as a PAC. And PACs are a type of nonprofit that seem to be uh, dealing in some quite unethical, uh, kind of financially non-transparent ways of moving around large sums of money, um, particularly related to both uh, the compensation of um. Uh, it's uh, directors and there's mentioned here of the vice chairman um, interest in third-party companies also controlled by that these individuals um, just goes to show that eventually you're gonna get caught <laughs> don't make sure you are above board with everything and again if you are an organization doing the right thing make sure that you're able to prove that to your audience um, be accountable uh, be transparent. And yeah, be above board with the people who are going to potentially donate to you.
0: I get a little worried sometimes when the attack angle, you know, this is from Daily Beast, the attack angle looks at uh, CEO, nonprofit CEO compensation or executive compensation. You want to be very, very careful because, frankly, I, I, I see that as part of the overhead argument. Like if if there's somebody who is incredibly talented, leading a great organization in a great way, achieving exactly what the results are, and they're being fairly compensated so they don't go off and frankly start a, a startup or get like lured away by PE capital, like private equity capital, there's a lot of money sloshing around out there. And you need uh, talented, experienced, very capable people leading the charge on the types of major organizations out there. not not applying that to this, but I get nervous when that's the, you know, that's, that's the tip of the spear, the point at which we find fault with uh, CEO compensation.
1: Yeah, George, I agree with you. I think there's an also interesting narrative there of when you organizations are judged solely, right? This goes to, um, Tools like Charity Navigator, where they're judged solely on, you know, the percentage of money spent on programming, that puts a lot of downward pressure on uh, some of the things that you need to spend money on to potentially build capacity and increase impact uh, down the line. Um, Is this something that you would say kind of falls into that category? It
0: could. You know, I I don't know the the nature of their work or where they'd be lured to. These are high profile individuals that probably actually led to maybe increased amount of giving, uh, giving on that side. And it just, you know, I think these articles are written to, to draw ire and simply, you know, for putting the words right wing first was not a mistake. And I would, you know, if your initial rejerk, uh, knee jerk reaction on this was like, how dare they, I knew they're all corrupt. Like be very careful because the sword cuts two ways and it's not a rubric that necessarily should be used as the you know, the defining metric of whether a, a nonprofit, C 3 C3, C4, you know, this is a pack um, is, is doing the work they say they are to the people that support them. Um, this actually could be very much in line with the way that the organization wanted to, to support. Um, so be careful, check your, check your judgments. Although this does seem a little, it's <laughs> just a little sad way. This seems, this seems as little, I read it, much,
1: <laughs> um, Yes, but a good perspective. Nonetheless, we should all be looking critically at news stories. And this one, though, I can look at fairly uncritically and say is amazing. Um, this is about a, a festival fundraiser event um, in New Jersey, go New Jersey, uh, where it J- Dogs are dressing up for Halloween to raise money for the local library, and I am currently looking at a puppy dressed up as a taco, and it is very cute.
0: Yeah, this is our, our feel-good of today coming from USA Today, and yeah, the the pups parade uh, for Halloween costumes. I think there's a lot of Halloween fundraising opportunity out there, but if you are combining puppies costumes alliterations you have yourself a winning fundraiser right there and i'll tell you what dog owners are uh, are, are going to help you out uh, so those those are some really good ingredients if you're looking for a halloween fundraiser all right that's the nonprofit newsfeed for the week again it's free if you subscribe get it in your inbox get the links and resources at nonprofitnewsfeed.com thanks nick